Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Have you ever thought about how many stories there must be in your own neighborhood, on your own street, in the homes up and down the block where you live? Well, where Marina was raised, there were Koreans, Germans, Russians, Ukrainians, Persians, and the indigenous people as well. Not Native Americans, because Marina wasn't raised in America. Instead, she was raised in another diverse country, Kazakhstan, a huge Asian nation where the native Kazakhs lived as nomads. In fact, even now, many still live as nomads. Until communist nations like the Soviet Union and Korea began to send people to Kazakhstan in the 1920s and the 1930s. Now, unlike the United States, where the majority, certainly not all uh, immigrants, but the majority of immigrants have arrived by choice, their own choice. Very, very few arrived in Kazakhstan by choice. But what is choice, really? This is a question Marina had me pondering for days after this interview. See, in America, we highly value choice. The choices to move where we want, choose the schools we want, pursue the career we want, make as much money as we want, marry the person we want. Choice, in our minds, is essential to that constitutional right to the pursuit of happiness. But Marina talks about choice in a different way her grandparents thought about choice in a different way. One grandmother, for instance, believed that the freedom to choose these forks in the road was overrated. That commitment to community was the higher value. And the real choice was in choosing to accept what was given, to choose to be happy, content, and hopeful. And I'm left wondering, is it really true that we always have a choice to be happy? And also, again, what stories were held within the houses on Marina Street, where nearly every family was moved to Kazakhstan by their government? And finally, what stories would the Kazakhs themselves tell about the people who showed up on the land? What stories would they tell about what happened to their way of life? Certainly, Marina shares a very powerful story about the compassion that the native Kazakhs showed towards prisoners in a gulag. You'll definitely want to hear this one. But the truth is, just like me and my neighbors, and really sometimes even some of my friends and community members, I don't know much. Marina didn't know much about these stories as a child. And choice was not something that was on her mind. What she knew was that her neighbors were her friends, they played happily together, and everyone in the neighborhood shared their own cherished recipes from their own heritage. And these are recipes that the parents came together They made them together, they prepared them, and they ate them. They created unity among diversity over food. And in fact, Marina's storied recipe today doesn't come from her own heritage. It's a Polish cookie called mazurka, just like the dance. So I am excited to welcome you into this conversation with Marina, where we dive deep into all of this and so much more today. Thank you for joining us. So Kazakhstan, 
Yes. (laughs) Let's talk about Kazakhstan and then we'll build into uh, your life, which we've already gotten to talk about some. So first of all, I was so pleased um, when you reached out and you already shared in like our very brief communication, so many things that I either didn't know, or I actually was completely, you corrected things that I was just like completely wrong about. (laughs) So um, let's just assume that I am starting with zero knowledge of Kazakhstan, yes. and let's just assume that for my listeners as well, and we'll we'll go from there. So, uh, like, let's just start with the basics. Kazakhstan, I believe, is a very very large country. Yes. Um, what countries? Just tell us where it is and what countries it borders, and a little bit about the people groups there. Yes. So I like to usually start with like, if you look at the map, Mm. there is a Russia and there is a China. Mm -hmm. And in between of them is Kazakhstan, the huge, huge country. Right. Because it borders Russia on the north and the west and the Chinese on the east. Mm -hmm. And in the south, there are other um, Asian countries. There is a Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan. They're all on the south. Mm-hmm. Right. So herein lies like my first misunderstanding because I can, cons- well, Kazakhstan is an Asian country. Yes. yes. Like geographically, Asia, yeah. yes, geographically it's Asian. Um, but the people are not all Asian. No. And uh, I think it's a part of it is because it was a part of a Soviet Union. Mm. And uh, there were uh, like Probably as it became uh, part of it, uh, first big move was of a political opponents. Mm. In 1930s, 1940s, people were just moved to Kazakhstan because it's such a huge land. Mm-hmm. And then there was, uh, during World War II, a big move of uh, German people to Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. Again, they were not trusted because of the World War II. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also in the late 1930s, there it is. There were Korean people who moved to Kazakhstan, and I'm not. I I don't know much of the history on that. Mm. They they were just moved <laughs> again, yeah. part of some poli- political decision. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, like we're we're very passive about this. They were moved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so they, were, they were moved. <laughs> yeah, let's let's zero in on this. So first of all, before mm-hmm. all of this started happening in the 30s, who was there? Kazakhs. Kazakhs. They, Yes, they are. Uh, they they used to be nomads, so mm-hmm. huge land. They were traveling, and the climate changes from south to north. Mm-hmm. It's just a it's huge country, mm-hmm. so it is warmer on the south, colder in the north. And they were moving. They the cows, um, camels, horses, mm-hmm. sheep, like all of all of that movement. And they lived in the uh, houses that they just uh, yurts. Mm-hmm. So it's yes. a wood and I think it's fabric and uh, animal skin that was built up and uh, it was an opening in the roof for mm-hmm. like in the middle, there is this fire going for to cook food. Yeah. And there is an opening for uh, smoke to come out. Mm-hmm. And that opening, um, Shanarak, it's a, uh, it is a symbol of Kazakhstan and it's kind of the center of the house. It's kind of center of everything. If you look from it at ins- inside, it looks like a sun with a circle shape, mm. and the beams of the this house they look like a sun rays. 
Okay. This is the national symbol. I'm doing some Googling here. The national yes. symbol of Kazakhstan. What's it say that word again? Shamirak. Okay. S-H. Mm, I see. So I never knew that. And that's what it's an M it's a, it's a symbol representing yes. if you're inside the yurt and you look up, you see yes. the bright of the sun and you see the opening. Yes. You see the brightness of the sun through the mm-hmm. opening. Amazing. Okay. So Kazakhs were basically the indigenous people um, yes. there in Kazakhstan and they were all nomadic. There weren't yes. a lot of um, cities established or anything like that. No, they had uh, like a winter, they were like winter cities where mm. winter time they would go and those were usually like built uh, structures, mm-hmm. but like they didn't own, like there was not like the family assigned to the house. It's just you come there and you spend the winter there and then uh, next family comes and spend the next winter there. So it depends where um, where life was taking you. Mm. So I think that I watched with my kids a documentary on um because there's still a nomadic people group in Kazakhstan. Yes. yes, yes, and they're one of the few remaining on earth, I think. Oh, oh, I watched another one and I forgot where it was geographically, but there is some other um some other people who are still uh following the like the lifestyle. lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, I think that um I think I think there's several but you know of course like every yeah. year there's fewer and fewer and that was even part of the focus of this documentary. I'm trying to find the name of it. But um so they they were there, they were nomads and still living cooperatively if not establishing cities because like you said they would establish places and then just leave them for the next group to come the following yeah. winter. Okay, so um First, I want to talk about these groups that moved in. And then secondly, how the Kazakhs responded to that, how that all went. I mean, we know how it happened here in America. Like, yes, colonization was colonization. Uh, Groups were displaced. Um, I I want to dig into like how things coexisted there or if they did. But before that, let's talk about how the groups came in. So you said the first that came in was in the 1930s. And those groups mainly came from Russia. From uh from Russia, yes, mm. but and uh, uh with uh, Soviet Union, the mm-hmm. they when it became one country and uh, Kazakhstan, it, the land is very rich. Mm. So the idea was like to settle all of the nomads and uh, start agriculture. Okay, so so the Soviet Union when did, when was that established? By the way, I guess I don't know that. Uh, for Soviet uh, Soviet Union, uh, let me because I. I'm Googling also. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, oh, 1922. Yes. And it started as a, not as a Kazakh. Mm. It was, it, it was uh, Kyr- Kyrgyz. Yes. Kyrgyz A-S-S-R. Okay. So it was not just um, a satellite country. It was actually subsumed by yes, the Soviet it, Union. Yes. It was a part of Soviet Union. Okay. And so Russia decided you're going to be part of the Soviet Union. We're going to settle you. And who did they send over there? How did they decide who was going to be sent to Kazakhstan? Did people volunteer? Was it punishment? Um, it was, so it wasn't really like punishment, but it People didn't really decide for themselves. They were all <laughs> part of like a communistic group. So mm. it was all like community driven decision. Mm. And that's how on my mom's side, that's uh, how my grandma, her dad and her brother ended up there. They came to the, the move on a virgin lands. 
Mm, okay. So they were Russian. They came from a town in Russia. Yeah. And do you know much about the story of how? No, no um, not much about the move. Um, mm. With my grandma, she had stories about how they lived. And like my mom and I, we couldn't agree because according to my grandma, it was part of Russia. And according to my mom, it was part of um, Kazakhstan. So like geographically, we couldn't agree. Mm-hmm. And my grandma, she's not... Um, so she's not with us anymore to correct mm. both of us and <laughs> actually tell us <laughs> what was there. Like no one was writing the story of the family. No one was writing it down. Mm. It was all just, um, what is it, told tales, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just quite, kind of an oral tradition yeah. that came down and people told it from their own perspective, protecting whatever people and group that they felt obliged to protect, you know, with the way that they told the story. Yeah. Yeah. So um, did they feel hopeful when they got to Kazakhstan? They did. They felt like what the what what did they feel they could they could get from this move to Kazakhstan? How did they feel it would benefit them? Well, For my grandma, she moved to it was like a bigger, bigger city. It was still small, but it was a bigger city because she was from a smaller village Mm. and uh, she had a factory job. Mm-hmm. And in, um, in the village, she had one. No, in uh, in Karaganda, when she moved to the city, so she had a factory. First, she was working on a veg with the vegetables, and then she was part of a coal mining group. She wasn't wow. in a coal mining, but she was in the office. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was doing like they had this uh, before phones, like when the oh, what is it? It just slipped out of my mind when they were connecting to people. Mm, telegrams. Like, yes, yes. You yeah. call the number. I was like, oh, I would like to speak to someone else. And then oh, she was okay. the one connecting uh, them in the. I see. Yeah. A switchboard operator. Yes. Switchboard operator. That's what she was oh, doing. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. And then she, so your grandmother moved there. Did As she? A young, young woman. Yes. Okay. And did she meet your grandfather there? Yes, she met him and um, she was a very pretty woman. Mm. And she said that it was more of a curse because she just, she had so many uh, gentlemen, like, mm. uh, yeah, suitors <laughs> that uh, she just couldn't choose. And then she was nearing her 30. And at that time, that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're nearing your 30s and you're not married. And uh, that's when she met my grandpa and they got married. I see. And, and by the like judging by that time she had kids later in life because my mom was born when my grandma was 30 and she was the youngest and now mm-hmm. uh, she had her firstborn at 26 they're four years apart I so see. that was considered really late to have mm-hmm. kids yeah but with, with grandpa they didn't have a long life together since he passed when my grandma was 40 oh so only about 14 years 15 yes. years maybe Yes, they I did see. not get much time together and but she never married again she just Wow. Wow. So your parent, your mother was young. Your mother was only 10 years old. Yes. Mm. And uh, my mom, when she went, um, she's thinking about those times, she's like, everyone kept saying that, oh, oh my gosh, she's so young and she's, she widowed now. And she was like, I remember looking at her, she's like, but she's 40. <laughs> like, but and she was like, only when I turned like 30, I realized, oh my God, how young she was to yeah. stay with two little kids. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And to never, to never marry again. Now, 
that the man your grandmother married, your grandfather, how did yes. he, did he, was he Russian as well? How did he come to, or was he Kazakh? Uh, what, how did that? No, he was not Kazakh. He was mm -hmm. uh, maybe Russian, maybe not. Like he was uh, in his passport, there is a nationality written that he was listed as Russian, but uh, he was, it's a very tragic story. So he was mm -hmm. found when he was four next to his mom who passed. Mm -hmm. And they don't know how much time he spent next to her. Mm -hmm. And uh, he just grew up in orphanage. Wow. In in a in a town or in a village in Russia. In Kazakhstan, he was in, in Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. Oh, he yeah. was born there. He was born. Yeah. There. So uh, okay. when they were moving, like there was no real infrastructure, like earlier moves, and they were digging houses in the soil, like they would in the in ground. They would mm. dig it out and like patch up walls and everything. There is a name for it, Zimlanka, mm. but I'm not sure how to translate it. And that's where he was found by just by other people that um, not like there is no history of, of how right. she passed or what happened. Right. And your grandfather didn't yeah, remember? Yeah, he didn't. No. Mm -mm. no. Wow. He may, I mean, four, not, four is old enough. He had maybe just blocked it out or yeah he just he remembers being next to her that she was sleeping and she was not waking up and uh, th that was the story he told that that's all he remembers and then okay. people came and took him to orphanage okay okay and then how about so that's on your mother's side um, yes. we kind of know their story how about on your father's side uh, on my father's side they're ukrainian they came from mm. ukraine and they were part of one of the moves they were moved to kazakhstan and uh, all the kids they were born in kazakhstan already my dad and his brothers mm. and uh his dad also passed when he was young mm -hmm. and he's uh there, there are no colored pictures but my dad told a story that when he was born he had deep blue eyes not like light blue like usually mm. babies born but like deep deep blue eyes and that's his name Vasily there is a flower mm. that has this deep blue color and that's like part of his name wow and then they had four boys together my grandpa and my grandma and uh, my dad came back from serving in military when his uh my grandpa passed, so I've never met him. I never met any of my grand uh, grand granddads. Either of your grandfathers, okay, mm -mm. okay, and never you met. But I do okay. remember my grandma. She also she passed when I was a kid, but I do mm. remember her. I remember going visiting her. She lived with her youngest son and his family. Mm -hmm. He stayed okay. in the family house, and I do remember her. Okay, so she came from. Uh, they both of them came from. Ukraine. Ukraine, and then yeah. had their four boys together yes. in Kazakhstan. Um, do you know how or why they were moved from Ukraine to Kazakhstan? They were. Uh, they used to live in a village that was part German, part Polish. Mm. So that those places were kind of, let's say, like cleaned up, and people were just moved around mm. so. by the Soviet government. By so Soviet regime, yes. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Uh, so again, it's you wouldn't say that that was necessarily a choice that they came no. to Kazakhstan. No. Mm -hmm. no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I don't know if like the word choice was even known at the time, at the time of Soviet Union. Yes. It's like I'm approaching this from a very like uh, American standpoint with American values. Um, and a modern, I think, standpoint with modern values as well. And it's like hard to transpose those. Yes. So, I, yeah, I don't think it was like 
many things were not much of a choice. Mm-hmm. They were just done because that's what you were told to do. That's what mm-hmm. you do. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. So your maternal grandparents felt some hope when they um, were sent to So this city, I can't pronounce it, Karaganda, is that the capital yes. of Kazakhstan, by the way? No, it is not, but it's uh, now near to the capital. Yeah, I'm looking at a map. It's one of two cities that are named. So it's it was a major city when your maternal grandmother was moved there. So yes. she felt hope and she felt, you know, glad about this decision. <laughs> like you said, yes. it wasn't necessarily a choice, but she felt like, okay, I can deal with this. I'm happy about this. Do you have a sense with your paternal grandparents um, did they feel like this was a hopeful thing or was this not such a great thing for them? Do you have a sense of that? I don't. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I don't have a sense if they liked it or not. Uh, I know that my grandma, she worked in a, uh, in a like a produce station in a store. So mm-hmm. she was there. And uh, I don't know if, if that was what she dreamed about. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm, like you said, it's almost it's almost the wrong question because there's just such a strong value of making the best, making do, yes. and just forming a good life for your family with what you're given. Yes, and it's also uh, what's best for community, right? It was all about community. Mm, so where they, you're needed to serve a community. Mm, mm, so they bought into the communist system. Yes, in other words. I, 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 yeah, I think it was just just the norm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, again, and I, I mean, we know enough about how the Soviet Union, you know, operates now and that there's yes. no new playbook. Like it's all you're you're told one thing and other information is not included or alternate viewpoints. So, yeah, you're told like this is for the good of the community. Your highest um, obligation is to the community. And like like uh, an an entire the entire Soviet Union internalized that. Yeah, because if uh, you would ask my grandma, who mm. was uh, through Soviet Union and through the fall of it, when you're independent country, she would say that it was better as a Soviet Union because you were part of the community. You graduate from the college university. You have a job because you're being like it's been provided to you. Does it mean that it can be provided where you grow up? No, you can be moved, but you had a job, and then um, more often, job provides you the place to live. Like you might not be owning this place, this apartment, but you're given it so you can start the family, and there are daycares available, and the school is nearby. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything's the, laid out yes. very... Yeah, like, you know mm-hmm. your future, and the, I feel like the choice is not a big part of it because, like, you have a future. Why do you need to fight mm-hmm. for a choice? Mm. Okay, okay. So for her, we were lost because you need to stay in line for daycare or, like, all that stuff was confusing for her, and she always thought it was better with Soviet Union. Like, mm-hmm. she didn't know all the, like, terrors. That they were not broadcasted. Exactly. Exactly. And she never personally yes. suffered through them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. And I think that was for the most of the people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. except for those who got a knock on the door in the middle of the night and someone was taken away because they were considered a threat to the government. To like, <laughs> mm-hmm. So those families have different stories. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, this is important, I think, to understand that there is another perspective there. And that's part of the reason that it can um, 
you know, it it lasts to this day. Um, so many communist countries, because there is uh, there's something that there's something that I, <laughs> it's like it goes against everything American inside of me to say it this way. But there's something about it that works for some large segment of the population. It might not yes. be the best. It might not be ideal, yeah. but it fits certain uh, personalities. And if you don't have, like you said, one of those traumatic experiences or you're not close to someone who does, then um, you just kind of move along in life and accept what's given to you and, you know, live your life with your family, devote yourself to them. And, and, and that's it. Yes. Yeah. Open, yeah. close. Like, there story. are always two sides. And mm. uh, like for my grandma, she had like her story, her side, and she mm -hmm. liked it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And that's the other thing is, I mean, part of survival um, yes. and part of thriving is to, yeah, it's to, it's to shape the narrative in your own head, right? Like yes. we all see that, we all see that for ourselves. Like it's considered a mental health skill to shape the narrative, to see the positive and all of these things as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is so interesting. Okay, so they came um, mainly all four uh, paternal grandparents. They were already there by the time World War II happened. Yes. Okay, and then um, you said that was a terrible time for this is your maternal grandmother's side. Yes, it was. Um, I think it touched every family in mm -hmm. the post-Soviet Union because so, so many people died and uh, people were drafted to go to work. Like mm -hmm. my great-grandpa, my uh, grandma's dad on my maternal side, he had uh, some sort of disability. Mm. So he wasn't drafted and it was, uh, it was considered a shame that he's not drafted. So he was making uh, shoes mm. for, for the front. Okay. But uh, all his uh, brothers... All mm. other men in the family, none of them came back, those who went to the to war. And my grandma, she was about 10 when it was um when war started. Mm. She was born in 1931 and it started at 1941. Yes, she was 10 years old. And um in the village where they grew up, it was just hunger. People mm -hmm. were starving because no food was available. Mm -hmm. And she was telling a story how her mom, she found a piece of fabric and she made her a dress, a very simple dress. Mm -hmm. And then she collected some herbs outside and she dyed it like a pale yellow color. Mm -hmm. And for my grandma, it was the best dress ever. But when I look at the picture, I see that she has no shoes. Like she's sitting in mm -hmm. the dress. Yes, but she has no shoes. Mm -hmm. so. I see. I see. Yeah, and that's uh, and what that was a story for many families. Mm -hmm. It was just a terrible, terrible time. Yeah, this is something that I've only recently begun to understand because I, I think for me, I started to think about it, kind of question it because this whole um, thing coming out of Russia that you know the Ukrainians yes. are Nazis and like it's almost like this obsession with the Nazis. Like there's no moving past World War II. And, you know, of course it's called the Great Patriotic War and stuff. And so I, I started to look into it a little bit more. And like even the statistic right here that I'm going to read out loud is mm -hmm. this is brand new to me, but it it's very illuminating, right? So the military deaths in the Soviet Union during World War II were estimated to be between 8.8 .8 and 10.7 million. And that's just the military deaths. Here's the really shocking thing. The total civilian and military deaths in the Soviet Union was 24 
million people. And what that means is almost one and a half or maybe even two times as many civilians died as compared to military. And just for comparison, just for comparison in the U.S., it's 416,000 military deaths and the total civilian and military is 418,000. So a tiny, tiny, tiny number of civilians versus between uh, 16, well, 12 and 16 million civilians in the U.S. And on top of that, another eight or 10 million military deaths. I, it's easy for me to understand now how the Soviet Union has not moved past World War II in many ways, because this is a generational, like this, yes, this, this is, oh yeah. Like you said, like no one, no one escaped, not just without one story, but without many, many stories. Yes. And uh, was it such a death toll? I think this why it's like, uh, there is this question in social media, like why is uh, like post-Soviet Union countries, why are they so obsessed with it? It's not like they're obsessed with it. We still have we still have people alive who were there. Right, right. They they, they pass stories to the families, and there are still people who were affected by it. If you take even the siege of uh, now it's St. Petersburg, it's what used to be Leningrad. Mm. The the city was at siege. They, they there was a hunger, like, and it it was a winter time, so they were cold, they were hungry, and those were civilians. Yes. Yes. And um, as far as I've read somewhere, it stays in our DNA that fear, hunger, it stays, it passed from generation to generation. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Now, this was not necessarily all at the hands of Germany. Of course, this was also, I mean, at the hands of the leaders of the Soviet Union themselves. Um, it was, um, it was, I don't know, like it was war and the... I mean, this is when Stalin, Uh, Stalin starved his own people. It was history is written by the victors, right? This is Mm. what it is. Mm. And uh, it was all done to win the war. And Mm. when siege started, they they were held up by uh, German soldiers. They surrounded the city, but they were not giving up. Mm. And giving up was not an option. Mm. That was, uh, that was just how it was they mm. were not giving up their lands and they were standing until the last, last person was standing mm. Mm. Um, yeah so it's yeah. easy to exploit this now because like you said it's i mean there's stories that persist there's people that are still alive that remember that time and it's encoded in that there's really no one that escaped trauma free and like you said i mean yeah there's been so many scientific studies the way that that's encoded um yeah one just physically there's 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 uh, a lot of studies about uh, i think heart issues um the way you store fat and things like that that's encoded genetically when you're when your people uh suffer starvation trauma things like that and then and there's then, mental benefits um, yes deficits as well yeah go ahead so with uh, with starvation like mm. in every house in a post like post soviet union you will find a pantry Mm, and the mm. pantry is going to be stocked up. And like my pantry is also stocked up. Mm-hmm. I never went through starvation. Mm-hmm. I never went through war. I, I was born and I lived in a household. Like we never had limited access to food or to anything. Mm. I still I still make a, make a pantry full of things like non-perishables. Mm-hmm. Right. I have canned soup that I don't even use in my cooking, but I still have it. Right. Because 
Yeah, that, it's part of your legacy. That, yeah, that that's just what we do. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I remember interviewing um, a Hungarian, like, well, she lives in Ireland now, but she was Hungarian. And of course, her, uh, you know, grandmother lived through this starvation because Hungary mm-hmm. was also part of the Soviet Union. And she never, never, like having uh, 10 kilogram bags of flour, uh, you know, those staples was like, that yeah. was her zero. That was her starting point. You never dipped into that. You always had that. And then what you used was more um, for exactly that reason. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, so it's a very interesting. But now I see articles like, "Oh, like uh, world is changing. Uh, let's learn from the Great Depression and uh, build our pantry." And I read through the list. I was like, "Well, that's things that we usually have. Like mm-hmm. we we'll always have flour, we we'll always have sugar. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> I matches. Yeah, we got that stuff. <laughs> I've learned that lesson. <laughs> I could teach that lesson. Is what you're thinking? <laughs> yeah, like I, I can write my own list of what you need to. <laughs> <laughs> that's great or like canning techniques i'm like yeah we grew mm. up canning like mm-hmm. yeah i might poison half of my family but i know how mm. to theoretically do it <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah this was this why we have like salt and vinegar because that was a staple for canning mm. Mm. I, I don't can but i still have salt and vinegar in my pantry <laughs> yes this is so interesting, right? It's not that you think you're going to need that your gravy to be that salty. You need to yeah. be able to can and to preserve. That's and fascinating. And the same goes for mm. sugar because you're going to make jams. This way you need sugar. I see. This but, is uh, this is fascinating to me. I see. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's just a very interesting kind of way. And I'm not sure if my kids because they're grown up with a pantry filled with things. Mm-hmm. Is that's probably what they're gonna do just because it was done. They're not gonna know why. Mm-hmm. They're not gonna have the sensor, but they just gonna be probably doing it, it because it's embedded in their DNA that you need to stuck up. <laughs> like, right. you, need, you, need to, <laughs> you need to be ready for everything. <laughs> right, right. Unless they think to ask you one day, why do you have all this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like I mean, my oldest is eight. He's never asked. He just knows that like there is something in the pantry and that mm-hmm. when we moved to the house, we built a bigger pantry because, well, you mm-hmm. need to keep a bag of flour somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I see. I see. Yeah, that's very interesting. Now, what? A, so going back to the history of Kazakhstan yes. and it being a multinational country, so we kind of know how your family got there and that many, 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 um, you know, mirrored this. Actually, yes. let me back up and ask a yeah. question. This is a really fundamental question. Russians, would you consider Russians Europeans or Asians? Europeans. Europeans. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, this is this is this is what I've always considered. But then like for Kazakhstan to be Central Asia, really Russia has to be Asian technically in a geographical way as well, although the people look more European. So uh, it, we call it Eurasia. Yes, I've never, I've never <laughs> exactly. heard anywhere in the U.S. refer to that part of the world as Eurasia. It was or Asia or Europe. It yes. was never combined. And I don't know why. I don't have answer to that question. But that's what we're like. We are part of Eurasia because there is Europe next to us. And the same goes for Russia. Like some of it is in European right. territory, some of it in the Central Asia. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. So actually, I growing up had heard Eurasia. Actually, that's what I was taught in elementary school was it was called Eurasia, which 
it's one continent. It's not two different continents, right? Yes. And then um, it was funny when I was writing the questions for this, I was like, so Kazakhstan is, you know, um, the Asia part of Eurasia, right? And then I started yeah. to think, is that even a word? <laughs> and then I started to, I started to really question myself. And I was like, is it like Pluto is not, you know, I learned Pluto is a planet. It's not a planet anymore. Now Eurasia is not a continent anymore. So what is yeah. the deal here? I don't know. Like I lived there for 23 years and then and I lived in Eurasia and then I moved to United States and it was like, oh, so you're from Asia. And I was like, well, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Like I started to question myself. I was like, is it just like something that we say and no one else in the world says it? It's like, because there are so things, there are some things that like, you know, like they're very native to some places. Yeah. No, I feel like it's more, like I said, the Pluto thing. Like it was, yeah. it was a thing. And then it's kind of something that's not discussed anymore now when, or it's not taught that way. I'm gonna have to ask my kids how it was taught to them. If it was taught as Eurasia or, um, Europe and Asia. But either way, um, what I was going to ask is when the Europeans, because it was more the European side yeah. of Eurasia that was um, moved in and settled Kazakhstan, when all of that happened, how did the Kazakhs react and what happened to the indigenous people group? Clearly, there's still nomads there. What was that interaction like? Uh I think it's going to depend that this answer to this question is going to depend on the family and their experience. For of my course. family, I've never heard any issues. Mm, okay. I know that as kids, we were when um, when the Kazakhs were moved uh, from the villages to the town, mm. we as kids, we were kind of mean to each other. Oh, really? But uh, the that was just bullying, right? As a group of kids who lived in the same place and then new kids moved in. That was just that. So I don't think it would have mattered who moved in. Mm, mm. Yeah, it was the jets and the sharks. Yeah, there was conflict. Mm. But for when it was originally happened, that I never heard anything from my grandma saying that someone was like mean to them because they moved to mm -hmm. the land or something. Yeah. How about rights for the Kazakhs? Were those applied equally how did that do you, what do you know about that i don't know much about that unfortunately mm. okay. i will have to actually ask my sister-in-law when we go visit them because she, she's kazakh so she's gonna know more on that question i would love to hear back on that Thank you all so much for tuning in. In case you missed the first episode in August, which was called Christmas in August, I want to tell you that I need your cherished Christmas dessert for an episode coming up in December. This episode will be preceded by a blog post in September. What's happening in this episode is that we are coming together as a community to share Christmas desserts around the world. And I would love for you to share with us your heritage, uh, your culture, your traditions by sharing this um, Christmas dessert. It doesn't matter if you have a recipe for this dessert that you're willing to share or not. If you do, I'll be more than thrilled to share it. Um, if you have a blog or a website with, with this recipe on it, I'd be more than happy to backlink to it. But if you don't have either of those things, or if you're uh, recipe is a family secret that you can't share, that's okay. I still want your knowledge about the history behind your dessert tradition. I want your memories of the people who made it, the place where you ate it. I just want to hear your story. 
to share that with us in your own words and in your own voice, you can click the link right there in the show notes um, to leave a message for me on SpeakPipe. Or you can go to my website. You can search the storied recipe Christmas in August um, to get all of the details on how to share your story of your cherished Christmas dessert from around the world with us. If you have any questions at all or any feedback, always feel free to email me at becky at thestoriedrecipe.com. Even even to have that perspective, I think on the podcast, maybe if she'd be willing to come on or I could find someone else, that would be, because it's just like you said, it's a different perspective. And of course, it's only her perspective. It's never going to be, you know, everyone. So now you had shared a story that I, I, I didn't quite catch it, uh, who it was or what the time was, but someone from your family, I think, was in a gulag and the Kazakhs oh, no, no, came by and fed f- them. Oh, no, no, okay. that was not from my family. Okay. That's just a story that's being told that uh, when the camps were built, mm. they, they, they had a hard work. And that, like they noticed that uh, nomads, like native people, they come in and they throw something at them. Yeah. And at first they make this, uh, it's court. So mm. it's a milk product, but it's hard and it's really salty. Okay. They, they just, that was the way to preserve it. And they were yeah. throwing those at the people who were working because they saw that they were starving. At first they thought that those were rocks that they were wow. throwing at them. But when the someone tried it, it was yeah. actually food. But for guards, it looked like even they like throwing rocks at you guys because no one likes you. No oh. one wants you. Like you need to work harder, but they were just trying to help people. Wow. Wow. What a compassionate thing. And uh, wow. It's amazing. Yeah. It probably kept some people alive. Yeah. I would think so because it is uh, like a milk fat and mm-hmm. uh, salt. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Get some very get- critical things in and stay alive, hopefully long enough to be released yeah so and now um it's are there you know of course here in the u.s there's uh race problems and these you know were even predicted for instance by abraham lincoln at the end of the second you know or at the end of the civil war if you look at his Mm. second inaugural address he talked about the fact that these these sins would be visited upon our country in the form of disunity and many other things for generations mm-hmm. to come. And that has come, you know, to be true. Yes. Um, what would you say is like the generational fallout of people coming and living together? Uh, what is that like in Kazakhstan now? Like uh, from my perspective, I mm. just, uh, and then again, like when I moved to the United States, for me, it was very hard and still sometimes hard to understand the mm. racism as the subject like we Mm. grew up in a such a multinational country Mm. we had neighbors who were germans we had neighbors who were kazakhs and we were kind of just one community Mm -hmm. you don't really separate people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like if you look at my family my uh, dad's oldest brother his marriage is german Mm. Then someone is married to, she's from Russia. She actually mm. came from Russia and they got married. His uh, one of his middle brothers. Mm. 
So it was just like my brother, he's married to Kazakh mm-hmm. and it's just, and I'm married to Korean. We're international family. And for us, we're all family. Mm-hmm. Yes. Each one of us brings our own traditions to mm-hmm. our like, little unit of a family, mm-hmm. but this is just what it is. And mm-hmm. now at school or in college, my friend, she's Kazakh. And then mm-hmm. we were, we would celebrate Easter. And now with her kids, they they don't do it in a religious way, but they still color the eggs because mm. it's fun. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or when it's a big um, Nauris is a... Yes, Persian. Yeah. Yes. So it is celebrated in Kazakhstan and we celebrated it. Mm. It was a family gathering on that day, but like we didn't have any historical ties to it mm. or religious ties to it. It was just a celebration. I see. It was still like big holiday and you know that your neighbors celebrate it and then your neighbors would share some food with you or mm. kurbanite which is religious mm. mm-hmm. but it's still like people would share meat with you because that's what it's done yeah kurbanite i don't know about that tradition oh it's um i would say it's like an easter mm. and now there is a oh, what's the right word for it like when animal is sac- sacrificed, oh, I think like oh. an animal sacrifice is oh, done, okay. and it's uh, like meat is shared with friends and family. Big donations are done at that time of during the Lent, like after okay. Lent, there is a kurbanite. Okay, and who's the like? Where does that's that? That's a Muslim. That's, that's a, Muslim. a Muslim. Okay, so did those did the? Okay, so there's the whole Persian. There's a whole Persian yes. group as well, and they okay. And then your husband's family, like you said, he's Korean. And at yes. some point, Koreans, uh, I need to look back at my map again. So where, uh, where, let me go back so to my map. I looked it up and they were moved in late 1930s. Mm. I didn't really find a reason for the move. But then mm. again, Soviet Union, people were just moved. And... Now, was Korea part of that? Was Korea affected? No, no, it was no. not part okay. of the Soviet Union, but it's a communist country. It was, a yes, the communists just... <sighs> Okay. And how about your husband's family? Does he talk about why they were moved or? No, his grandparents are gone by now. And they just and didn't pass it down. And not much was shared. But I know that they, they speak, they spoke Korean. So they, mm-hmm. and I think they were moved from where they used to, there was a big Russian, com- oh, big Korean community somewhere in Russia. Mm-hmm. Because that's where my mother-in-law was born. She was bar- born on the Russian territory. So, and okay. then at some point they were moved, maybe part of the, how my grandparents were moved by yeah. just moving people. Interesting. Wow. Wow. And then, like you said, everyone just made the best of it. Yeah. Just accepted it. It's crazy. It's a crazy thought to me. Mm, okay. So, uh, all right. So then we'll get back to this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's like, a, you see, for me, it's part of the norm how people mm-hmm. were moved like German people first, they were moved to Kazakhstan and then they can after like, Germany like, was defeated after Germany was defeated, like East in Germany the process, in the process yeah. of World War Two, they were moved. Um, mm-hmm. There was a, again in Russia, there was a big German community. All mm-hmm. those people were moved. Yeah. And as nineties passed, they started to go back. The process was started. Like our neighbors, they moved back to Germany all and did like their entire family. 
Mm. I remember very little of them. I only remember when I was little, there were packages coming from Germany with German candy. And that was like very oh. fascinating. <laughs> the Kinder, Kinder eggs are, that's yes, probably. Yes, Kinder eggs and the milk and chocolate. And all, wow. Yeah. So, or like there was also like packets of ice cream that you mix with milk and the put in the freezer and really? it's like you get yes that's like, like and the flavor i still can like when i talk about it i still can feel the flavor on my tongue it was very unique ice cream flavor never wow. run into it wow anywhere. like freeze-dried fr- ice cream that then yes. you kind of read yeah this is fascinating to me yeah so of course because you know if, i mean this even happened in my lifetime but of course east germany was part part of the soviet union which you forget um this is amazing this is just amazing. And, you know, you wonder, um, like with your husband's family or with your Kazakh sister-in-law or just so many, like you wonder how many stories are lurking beneath the surface and you were friends with people, but what were their parents thinking? What were their yes. grandparents thinking? And what was, um, you know, even for me, I, I, um, my grandfather fought in the Pacific theater of World War II and, uh, that really affected him. It impacted him. And there were, there were perspectives that he held until he died, you know, that Mm -hmm. um, they wouldn't necessarily trickle down uh, in the same way because I hadn't had the same experiences. So yeah, like I said, I wonder what's lurking, how many stories are lurking there. If, If we interviewed everyone on the street that you grew up on, Yes. You know, how many different- yes, every household is going to have its own story. And it also, it was not much was shared with kids. Mm. We were just kids and we were allowed to be kids. We all played together. Yes. Yes. And Even this... if there was something among the adults, mm. I wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know. No. Yeah. I also think that it's very much, and this is, um, this is a generalization, so it's not mm-hmm. going to be true for every family, but I have found again and again on this podcast that that is a very, um, that is a very Asian uh, cultural value is that you protect your kids from what happened to you in your generation. Whereas maybe like in Western Europe, uh, I think in the West in general, it's like you pass that knowledge down. Um, Mm. or even yesterday I was talking to someone from Egypt and she was talking about why Egypt has remained a democracy in within the Middle East. And she said, you know, as you received refugees, people would talk and talk and talk about what happened. And they made a decision as a nation, like we will mm-hmm. not let that happen to us. And you saw what happened when, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood tried to take over and, and mm-hmm. they this was a successful uh resistance, which yes. which doesn't generally happen. And they said this is because of like the the wisdom that came to us from these refugees and talking about it. Um, but I have found again and again, as I've tried to book podcast guests, or if I tried to bring up topics like again and again, people have said from Asian countries have said like they refuse to talk about it. They wanted to protect us from that part of our story. Mm-hmm. And they feel, they feel cut off from, um, from the knowledge of what happened and maybe from some traditions as well. Um, so again, it's a generalization. It's not yeah. every Asian country, but it's certainly something that seems to, it's, it's a generalization that I've, I've certainly seen again and again, or, or guests have talked to me about. Even um, World War II, not many of veterans who returned, they usually, they didn't speak about terrors of it. Mm-hmm. They did not want to remember terrors. They did not want to pass terrors on their kids and grandkids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They spoke about moments of heroism, like how someone was a hero. How yeah. they like 
Very little stories remain of the terror, but it's war. War is a terror. Yes. Yes. But yes. those stories were not, not passed along. Yes. And I think that that's a good point also, is that it's not always just a function of the cultural approach to sharing, you know, to that, to that value, mm. that line, the value, I guess, that you put on protecting a generation versus uh, passing on knowledge. And I think that it's not just a cultural issue, but sometimes it's the depth of the trauma. Mm. And again, to go back to my grandfather, for instance, it wasn't until he was older, until I was older, that he started, started to share some of the more horrific things that he saw and experienced and felt and what mm -hmm. that fallout was. So I think that that's a good point as well. And when you have like so much collective trauma. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's an excellent point as well. Yeah. And now with trauma, if you look into entire like a Russian classical literature, it's yeah. all about trauma. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that's where it was expressed. Mm -hmm. That was a collective trauma that was expressed in the literature, in the classical literature. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. We've all read Tolstoy and Dostoevsky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so let's switch switch topics mm -hmm. a little bit and talk about food. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I love food. How, food how, <laughs> how all of this. So generally speaking, one question, we jumped right into history and people and story because yeah. that's what fascinates me. But to go way back to the beginning, um, I want to talk about food from that standpoint. But one question I didn't get to ask is just explain a little bit about the geography and the climate in Kazakhstan and how that affects agriculture and food and then we'll talk about the cultural influences yes yeah. because it's uh, such a big country mm. the climate varies i'm from the central yeah. kazakhstan so we are i think it's called continental climate when where you have four seasons oh four okay very the distinctive season we have summer we have fall we have winter spring and uh, lots of uh, things lots of things are growing like it's yeah. very common to have a garden and grow yeah. your own food and then can your own food so lots of food happening around that yeah i'm looking again at the map and uh latitude wise you're actually um in central kazakhstan in the very actually some of the parts of ukraine that are like the breadbasket of the world yeah. so i can imagine that your climate and your agriculture and your produce was very similar and of course mm -hmm. Like you said, many people were displaced from Ukraine. And so they brought the knowledge of how to deal with like that same part of the land. Um, yeah. Also yes, Southern is. Germany and Northern France. So very similar. Yes. Okay. So there, there is everything you can grow, whatever mm. you want. Yeah. And from South, we would get apples mm -hmm. because they had big apple orchards and they still probably mm. do. I'm not sure how it now it works with the mm. things, but those were the most delicious apples because they were local apples. They did mm. days and days in the yeah. transit to mm. be moved, but they were local apples. And for, for us, uh, my grandma had a garden. We had a big cherry orchard. My parents still mm. do have cherry orchard, tomatoes, cucumbers, potatoes. Yeah. Wow. And it's still like when I show pictures of my yard of my parents, then my dad looked at us like, like potatoes. Why aren't you growing potatoes? You have so much land. <laughs> <laughs> like, why do you have grass everywhere? You need to get some potatoes in. Yes. And well, and the same mindset of you use your resources yes. to protect yourself from yes. some eventuality that, you know, again, it's, it's encoded that you guys have to 
it's coming. It's coming. Yes. The apocalypse is coming. <laughs> you know, war, famine, difficulty, it's coming. Yeah. I, I, so, I mean, the truth is we probably could stand to learn a little bit more of that perspective. Yeah. And like have less grass, more potatoes. Less grass. <laughs> Less grass, more potatoes. No mowing. <laughs> yes, no mowing. Just uh, carrying for potatoes. Yeah, probably potato- we would use less water because I don't think mm. they're watered much. Potatoes. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So that's that's central. Yeah. And then um, how about like northern Kazakhstan? Meat. That's what they're. They mostly meat and uh, with uh, what came from nomads. It's uh, the way of preserving meat and it's. Uh, like I'm not from a family who used to be nomads, but we still had it. Uh, mm. There's this sausage that's made from a horse meat, kazi, okay. and it's like it's all cooked. So, mm. yeah, yeah, because there just are many herds roaming, yeah, in Kazakhstan, and because um, they were hunted by nomads, the herds never thinned out or died out or anything like that. The proportion of yeah. people to animal remained remain strong. And I was just looking at statistics because I read somewhere that uh, mm. Kazakhstan has the highest uh, meat um, cons- consumption, consumption. Mm-hmm. but like statistics says that it's not, but they say that it's not accounted for those animals that people grow. Oh. So it's more over commercial uh, uh, yeah. meat consumption. So whatever you, people buy in a store and um, for Kazakhstan, like there is a meat market happening in the, in Karaganda in the central street, and all like people from yeah. all the small uh, villages around they come and they bring their meat, and it's a fresh, high quality meat. That that's what people wow. buy, wow. but that doesn't go into statistics. Yeah, and there was like a simple calculation done. So how much one like family on average consumes over mm. over a year? And they say that mm-hmm. probably Kazakhs are on a on the first spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, yeah, it's locally grown. It was maybe even like family, uh, like grown yeah. on their own farms or, yeah, okay. Yeah, and like grown up, we had chickens, but we were never a farm. We had chickens in a garden, but mm. we were not a farm. It was right. just, just a house. Yeah, it was utilizing your resources. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was, and, it was um, stewarding them, yeah. My parents, they still have chickens and mm. uh their own eggs and then it's meat because uh, for my family we never keep chickens over winter they're oh. just uh, harvested let's put it the way they're harvested and that's yes. what the uh, meat for the winter wow and it's very common for like a family let's say my parents and my brother they can buy like half a cow yes and then freeze it and use it over winter yeah. or like quarter of a horse yeah yeah or half of the lamb and all that is stored and eaten and now most of the dishes they contain meat like people are used to eating meat yes okay being vegetarian is something very unusual it is more common now Mm -hmm. more it's more in style Mm -hmm. to be vegetarian but um Mm -hmm. in in general things that you grow and meat yes and again it's it was all about what was available and meat was available yes yeah Meat mm-hmm. and milk products. Mm-hmm. 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 And uh, lactose intolerance, it's something, if I tell my parents, it's like very 
like very hard to understand for them like, <laughs> because everyone was drinking milk or how yeah. you're not supposed to drink milk they like give milk to babies under one it's like mm. but that's what we were giving them like some of your cousins grew up on a cow milk right and they were just fine there was no fancy formula there was there was just a cow milk right like if a mother couldn't produce they would just yeah. milk the cow and put it in a bottle and the baby was yeah. fine yeah and i think again going back to the way that uh our DNA. I, I don't think that's unusual. I think that our DNA figures out how to, this is like natural selection. Yes. You know, if that's what was available to people, I mean, to be totally blunt, the babies that couldn't handle that didn't survive. And, and then we just, yeah, I recently had a conversation yeah. with my sister-in-law because she sent me a picture of my nephew who was mm-hmm. born in December and he's sucking on a piece of meat. Mm. And she was saying that Kazakhs, that's what they used to do with children. Yeah. When they're babies and they're able to hold a piece in their hand, mm-hmm. they were giving them a like, like boil, preserved like, meat. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool piece of meat to suck on. And I was telling her like, well, if you read the all this baby led weaning method, that's mm. what they say to do. So baby gets iron. So oh. they didn't have a science behind it. Right. But intuitive, they were giving their babies meat to suck on. So they, they get this iron. Yeah. Yeah. So babies yeah. grow stronger. And I was like, so we're doing the same thing. Right. And this uh, BLW, it's like, I think, I don't know where it, start, where it starts. I know it's very popular in the US. I'm like, it's somewhere on the other continent, in the other country, yeah. people use the knowledge probably. Right. And then we take it on. Right. And there was some combination of bodies adapting to um, maximize because there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of evidence of that. Like even within one person's body in one lifetime, your body can adjust to maximize whatever it's given, you yes. know, but and then when you apply that to a whole people group, then your the bodies maximize what they're given or you know, like I mentioned before, if a body can't handle it, that that person doesn't survive. And then fewer and fewer people who can't, you know, the lactose intolerant people, it's just, it's not a thing in a people group yeah. anymore, you know, at some point. So um, yeah, we're very advanced, but like <laughs> civilization or humans are also, it's a very fragile, it's a very, yes. it's a very strange combination of fragility and uh, resilience, right? And like as a group, we kind of survive um, by some strange combination of both of those things. Yeah, yeah it, it's just amazing. And now, uh, with my own experience, I was like, there was always uh, there's this saying that peop- me- women used to have babies in the field, and then yeah. they would just ra- like wrap baby around and yeah. keep working because yeah. you have a field to tend to. Yeah. And I had my third baby in a hospital, and I had a very complicated birth. And I was like, yeah. I almost died in the hospital in the field. I would yeah. have been a gunner. Yes. <laughs> there would have been no one to keep working on that field because <sighs> I had like a very Absolutely. modern Absolutely. scientific approach to my health and I barely made it. <laughs> right. Like- oh, well, it's interesting. Like I said, I have four, I have four boys. And uh if we had lived a hundred years ago, uh, or in a different place, without a doubt, only one of them would be alive. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And so when people say like, oh, why do we have all of these, you know, sicknesses? Well, because we're much better at keeping people alive. Yes. You know, and and uh, yeah, who knows if I would be alive. Right. So, yeah, very a lot of resilience, a lot of resilience um, in your in your people, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the foods that were available, uh, popular. And who taught you personally how to cook? 
I spent a lot of time with my grandma because, mm-hmm. uh, and it is, uh, so to go back, it's not just my family. It is mm-hmm. very common for grandparents to take care of grand- great children because parents go into work. Yeah. And grandparents, they are done with work. They're retired. They're taking care of little babies. Yeah. And uh, my school was nearby. My grandma would take me to class and she would cook for me. And I would be next to her. Alert. Like I was never asked to help. Mm. But I just liked to be around. And mm. I watched her. She she was making this fish pie. Mm. It was... Um, it's a it's a it's fish it's a bottom feeder and they, mm. according to my husband you're not even supposed to be eating that but that is was it tilapia? my favorite uh no not tilapia um catfish oh catfish, catfish. yeah my husband keeps saying that it's a bottom feeder like he's like no he's like it was oh, eating all the I mean, a, from the bottom but i was a like well, lot this of was a fish. yeah oh a lot of populations <laughs> in the u.s eat catfish i actually like catfish yeah yeah, it's a, I, I liked like, it too. I haven't, yeah, I haven't cooked it myself, to no. be honest. But I haven't cooked many things myself. So, <laughs> so that <laughs> was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that she would mix it with rice and cook it. Mm. And that was the best fish pie ever for mm. me. And it was cooked because we didn't have a we didn't have an oven in the, like we had it, we didn't use it, but we had a stove to warm up the house where you put coals and, uh, wood in there and there was little oven made on the side of it so that's how things were baked over a uh, winter okay okay so the heat was um it was almost ambient heat from the stove yes from the stove wow. so that was your grandmother's specialty dish the fish yes. pie fish mm. pie she was a good cook like mm-hmm. she cooked really good things but i also grow like now as a grown woman mm-hmm. i realized that many things were good because we didn't know much difference mm. <laughs> that was the cooking that we used to like That's those right. were the spices because with my, my family they we didn't use in much many spices mm. like my mom personally doesn't like beans and cinnamon we did not have beans and cinnamon growing up yeah i just discovered them as a grown woman like living independently and i was like oh, i actually really like cinnamon <laughs> Be- oh okay okay you said beans and cinnamon uh, yeah no just like beans as a yeah oh she didn't like either beans yes, or cinnamon yes. i see what you're saying yes. okay yes not, not together not mixed together I mean, that right. be like a good flavor <laughs> combination i don't know about that but <laughs> i thought well that's interesting i wouldn't call that a common dish but i see what you mean yeah she didn't like beans yes. she didn't have beans she didn't like cinnamon so you didn't have cinnamon i see what you're saying okay well then let's talk about this um move is it Muzarka? Mazurka. 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 I've heard of this before. That sounds, why have I heard of that? That sounds common. That sounds. Yeah, it's a dance. It's also a dance. Oh, I think that- maybe with the, um, like a popularity of Anna Karenina movie, because that's what yes. they were dancing and Bridgerton. I think they're dancing that too. Oh, so that's why I've heard of it. It's the, so the, the cookies, the same name as the dance, the Mazurka. Yes. Yes. Why, why is it named that? Is it just coincidence? I- I don't know. And my mom said that she tried it when someone at work brought it. Probably their family had polished roots. So that's, she shared the recipe and it's a very easy and ingredient list is so short. Yes. And it's so quick to put together. And it's like still my favorite cookie. Like I can finish entire portion by myself. Yeah. Well, I I believe that. (laughs) 
I, I can finish a lot of things. I shouldn't be able to finish myself. Yeah. So for people who are listening, they haven't heard or seen the recipe, just describe um, this cookie. To them. So it's a cookie, which is, I think by amount of sugar, it makes it really crispy outside mm. and it's very gooey inside, I think from the amount of nuts and raisins. Mm. And that's like my favorite thing with like you bite through it and you hear the sound of it and you feel this like crisp on your teeth but then mm. you like go into the gooey middle which is it's yeah, like a surprise like, surprise, like a surprise inside yes oh, and there is okay. something about combination of peanuts and raisins mm. i'm not a raisin person at all me I neither like raisins but like in the combination with uh, the sweetness with the like slightly mm. salty peanuts it's just mm. and maybe yeah, maybe like, again, the, the texture combination too, because I don't really yes. like the chewiness or something. Okay, so you've answered one of my biggest questions about them, which is what is the texture supposed to be? They almost looked like scones in the, oh, first of all, is that is that your baby in that picture? Yes, yes, oh that's my, my baby. And I was like on the picture, yes, that's my baby there. That's your baby girl? Yes. That so all my the kids, cutest. they grew in the kitchen with my all the cooking experiments and they get to try the grow eggs and everything because they're into everything. Oh, well, if anyone's listening, definitely in the show notes. Um, can I include that baby with yes. your internet? Okay, yes. I, you've got to see this adorable little girl. Oh my gosh, she's the absolute cutest. But her little feet are wrapped around a glass yeah. container and then yeah, she's because reaching she forward. Cookies in there yeah. and, she, and I was eating it and she kind of took it from my hand mm. and I mm. do my best best to not give baby sugar until they're one but she licked it mm. and I asked for it and she gave it to me and I kind of shoved it into my mouth uh-huh. but then it took her a moment to realize the flavor combination because mm. she's never had sugar before mm. and then she was like this is good and she goes into my mouth and it's gone <laughs> and she's like she put all like her entire hand into my mouth and I was like okay this is like a dental appointment now and she's like <laughs> looking for it and then it's gone and she got so upset she was like what happened to that good stuff <laughs> That's so funny. Well, yeah, she's, she's so stinking cute. And I had to laugh also because human proportions, like you can't wrap a cookie jar around your feet and then also be reaching and yeah. taking the top off with your hands. So that's yeah. what's happening in the photo. And it's just like all parts of her are going yeah. for this cookie. So I thought, okay, they gotta be good if this baby likes them that much. But I thought it looked almost like a scone. It's that kind of thickness, the color, it's kind of pale in color. Yes. But you're like, no, the texture is totally different. Crispy on the outside, kind of chewy in the middle. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And you said the biggest thing, the biggest mistake I could make trying these is to not cut them hot. What happens yeah. if I don't cut them hot? They just crumble okay. after you can't cut them. They be, and okay. have, it's probably, it's like sugar and eggs, right? It's mm. the, the main ingredients. And I think once it cools off, mm. you try to cut it, kind of nuts, breaking it apart. And mm-hmm. you, you're unable to make those. We, we always cut it the squares, but it's supposed to be a cart into rom- rhombuses. Yeah. It's just, I'm going to try to go really fancy and do the rhombus. Yeah. We'll see if I can handle it. <laughs> I haven't done those in a while. I just like chop them down and if, as it's cooling off and yeah. on a pan or like all of us would come and like go for edges first. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yes. You've got to get the crispy edges, whether it's yeah. brownies or cake or anything. So what do you remember about eating these as a family? What are your memories? My The funniest memory I have is it was a microwave. It was that first microwave we got. I was a little kid and I remember it was a past the bedtime because I was already ready for bed and there's like dad with a microwave in the uh-huh. kitchen in my grandma's house and he's like you can cook anything in it 
uh-huh. anything can go in there. We didn't know what microwaves. We didn't have Google to like Google it up. And they're like, right. okay. And I was like, well, let's make mazurka. Uh-huh. And she mixed ingredients. And he was like, you only need to cook in a glass dish. So oh. we picked mm-hmm. like whatever glass dish we had, put it mm-hmm. in there, started like five, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Nothing is happening. Like it's not browning and as it's supposed to. Yeah. And at some point, I think we put it on like 20 minutes. Oh and God. I was like, oh, like this is burning. And we opened it up and the middle is burned. Oh, like it, is, it is all pale outside because it is not bacon, right? It's right. a microwave. Of course, yeah, it cooks <laughs> from the center out. Process. And I'm... they're like, oh, that's what it does. Like, maybe it's not bacon. <laughs> maybe it's good for warming up. And that's what it was. We were only warming up things in there. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm I'm actually surprised after 20 minutes, you didn't set the microwave on fire itself. I know. It's like... <laughs> What a great story. What a I great story. I still remember it was a white microwave. It was a Moulinex. Oh, wow. And the thing to start the timer, it was not buttons. It was like a little um, turner. That oh, a dial. Dial, yeah. yes. Yeah. Turn and then... I'm trying to remember if our first microwave was a dial. I don't think it was, but we may have gotten one later. We may have gotten like a later model. Yeah. yeah that's... So we should probably wrap up, although there's more I would love to ask. I could ask, but um, is there anything you want to share that I didn't ask that you wanted to say before we get off? Uh, yeah, it's just that uh, the entire cuisine in Kazakhstan right now, mm-hmm. it's influenced by many things. Like if I go for my family, like our neighbors were German, so we learned how to do the egg noodles. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, and we were making called? our yes. own egg noodles for mm. chicken noodle soup. Yeah. And I remember they were dried everywhere. It was the entire process. Or yeah. we were making dumplings. And that was like a big family process. Like everyone comes over, like kids are running around and women are yeah. sitting at the table and making them in like a hundred counts. Amazing. Just making them by hand. And it was Amazing. a big deal. Like all neighbors would get together and yes. make right. food. Yeah. And, and then you said, knew the sausages from the cat. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. And they, we were making sausages and they, they were filled. I think it was uh, like uh, like from sheep. Those like... Uh, intestines. The, yes. Intestines. Yeah. They were washed. They were dried. Yeah. And then they were filled on the meat grinder. Like all yeah. that. Yeah. So everyone really did learn from everyone else and yes. whatever happened to get them all there. In your community, yeah. at least, people put that aside and came yes. together. Everything was aside. People were together. Beautiful. Like we are, we celebrated Catholic Christmas because our neighbors are Catholics, mm-hmm. and they they would invite us to celebrate mm-hmm. their tradition. Then my aunt would invite us to celebrate because her family was as well, Catholic as well. Mm. And we would celebrate our Easter and share Easter bread that we bake. We would share it with our Muslim friends, and yeah. they. They're, like their kids were growing up knowing what Easter bread is. Right. And then you would celebrate Noritz with them. Yes. And, and so they would and so share uh, borsaks, those deep fried pieces of bread or beshbarmak, mm. which is the name of it is it's uh, five fingers on a hand because it's used to be eaten with hands. Oh, that's so cool. I've never heard of that. Wow. So and it's, many. Uh, meat and uh, dough, like it's yeah. a boiled dough, like pasta, but it's a uh, it's made with a oh, it's less than one less than made with a, like a huge piece of uh, like it's rolled in a huge mm. piece and it boiled and then put on top of the meat and that's how it's served. Yes, wonderful. Is there um is there a way you would like people to find you, follow you, or contact you? 
Yes, I have Instagram account. Mm. I can uh, forward Tell it to yes, you. Yes, say it's it. Like, it's uh, Marina seven uh, underline in sixteen. So yes, by my I'm first name and then my birth date. It's, I was not very original. Wasn't <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, and that's going to be right there in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time, Marina. I was really glad to meet you and have this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making it here to the end. Three quick reminders uh, for actually one, please subscribe right now in your podcast player. Two, I would like you to share this with a friend. That would be wonderful. Three, a five-star rating or review will help me. And I do depend on your help to grow this podcast. And fourth, please join in and share with us your favorite Christmas tradition, your favorite Christmas dessert from around the world for our crowdsourced episode coming out in December. You can figure out how to do that right there in the show notes. Just click the link. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great week, my friends.